Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. We'll look this morning at verses 12 and 13. You know, you don't have to be at the chapel very long to realize that the Bible is essential to everything we do here. I suspect that most of you agree with that emphasis or you wouldn't still be here. But it's possible that some have quietly wondered why we're that way. After all, there are lots of churches where the Bible is seldom really the focus of the church's life. Well, in case you wondered, our text this morning will explain. For this morning we come to a key text on the importance of the scriptures. Thomas Long calls it, quote, a hymn-like tribute to the power of God's word. In fact, this passage is such a brilliant gem of truth that it shines brightly even beyond this particular context in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. I'm sure that as a child I memorized these verses long before I ever read the book of Hebrews. Because they're true, even standing on their own, they're true, even more so in their context. Well, the text is brief, just two verses. Let me read it, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces, even, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let me just uh, divide this up into three simple truths this morning. The first is this. God speaks in the Bible. God speaks in the Bible. You know, in any discussion, it becomes very obvious that defining the terms is half the debate. So right up front, let's make sure we correctly define what it's talking about when it says the Word of God. It's easy to say, well, that's the Bible. And, and, and I believe it is, but let's make sure we're accurate. And sure enough, when we look at this passage, there are several things which clearly indicate that the, word, the term Word of God means the Scriptures, the Bible. The quote from Psalm 95 that we have back in chapter 3 and here in chapter 4, that quote is referred to as God's word in many different ways. For example, back in chapter 3, verse 7, we read, As the Holy Spirit, that's God, as the Holy Spirit says in 3.18, To whom God swore in chapter 4, verse 3, just as God said in 4.7, God spoke through David and in 4.8, We read, God spoke later, that is, God spoke in the psalm. And then while Psalm 95 receives uh, the most attention, uh, uh, this passage in Genesis and the reference to the New Testament gospel are spoken of in the same way. For example, in chapter 4, verse 4, we read, God, or he, that is, God, has spoken in these words. And then quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. In other words, the Genesis account is not some ancient myth, it's God's Word. So it is not just a loose assumption to equate the Word of God with the scriptures that we hold in our hands. That's what the book of Hebrews does. God speaks in the Bible. 
In our, do, in our day, people do all kinds of mental and ling- linguistic gymnastics trying to make God's Word something distinct from the Bible. So you have uh, people talking about the Bible containing God's Word, although it's not God's Word itself, or, or, or that in the Bible we may encounter God's Word as we read of the experience of other people's encounters. But this text speaks pretty plainly and simply when it quotes the scripture and says, God said, or God spoke. God speaks in the Bible. It is his word. Of course, that does not deny the fact that every word of the Bible is also the word of some human author. The Bible never shies away from the fact that Moses and Isaiah and and, uh, John and Peter and Paul, etc., wrote the words of Scripture. They were not just taking dictation. They wrote in their own language. They wrote from within their own cultural setting. They wrote with varying skills they had been given. Some were great scholars, and they wrote like it, and some were fishermen, and they wrote like it. But the Bible's claim is that these holy men of God wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that influence of the Spirit of God was so profound that the resultant writings were also the Word of God. So much so that 2 Timothy 3 can say, all Scripture is God-breathed. As much as Word as if he just spoke it like that. Now this clearly makes the Bible unique. But it's not irrational to believe such a claim, for it's God that made man's ability to communicate. And God is the one who made man's mind. And God is the one who controls all the processes of nature, including all human activity. So God is perfectly able to so superintend the activity of these human authors that the resultant text can rightly be said to be both his word as well as theirs. And that's exactly the Bible's claim. From one end to the other, God speaks. Paul speaks, Moses speaks, Isaiah speaks, but God speaks in the Bible. Now, the writer of Hebrews assumes we know all that, so he doesn't go into all that discussion. So let's move on to the greater concern, which is our second point. God works through his word. God works through his word. I'm amazed how often we have no concept of how things work, even things that we use every day. So I guess it's not surprising when God's people don't know how God works either. Well, in this text... This is the writer's concern, to impress upon us how God works through his word. The issue is raised in verse 12, where we read, The word of God is living and active. The word active is a translation of a Greek word, energes. Sound like any word you know? That's the word from which we we get the word energe. It's spelled almost the same, energy. It means to be effective in causing something to happen. And sure enough, the Word of God is the subject of some very energetic verbs here. It penetrates. It divides. It judges or discerns. 
The Word of God is living and active. It's the way God makes things happen. God works through His Word. That's very different from the view of God's Word that's popular in our day. Even, maybe, even many Christians see it just the opposite. They think that the Word of God is not very powerful and not very active, and, and indeed it's outdated, dead, and weak. That's why churches are always looking for people who can make the Bible come alive or, or teach in an energetic, powerful, dynamic way. But you see, all those things take the emphasis off the living energy of the Bible and its ability to change lives and put that emphasis on the person, the preacher, the teacher, as if we had the power to change somebody's heart, which we don't. Folks, preachers of the word, I've said this before, preachers of the word are to be like simple garden hoses. Clean and flexible, no holes, no obstructions. So that the water can flow freely to things dying of thirst. Nowadays, those transporters and dispensers of God's word are expected to flavor the water as they send it out, making it more palatable. Or to even withhold the water, assuming we can grow things without the messiness of getting wet. It's all so absurd. So listen to God's promise in Isaiah 55. This is what God says. As the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. Oh, make no mistake. God works through his word. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of that. The first is just a simple analogy. Suppose you wake up one night startled at a sound and you look and there's a, man, a prowler with a, with, with a knife crawling in through your bedroom window. After your first flush of panic, though, you realize, oh, no, I have a gun here beside my bed. And you pick it up and you point it at the prowler and you say, stop right there, I have a gun. But unfortunately, this man has different political views than you do. And he says, hey, man, I don't believe in guns. If you don't hand over your money, I'm going to hurt you. You flip on the light and you respond, maybe you don't understand. This thing's loaded. You better crawl right back out the window and get out of here while you can. And he says, man, did you hear me? I don't believe in guns. They are useless. They're a menace to society. Now give me your money, your money or your life. Wow, now what are you going to do? You're defenseless. You thought you had a weapon to protect you, and now you run into a criminal who doesn't believe in guns. I guess you have to hand over your money, right? That's how many Christians think when encountering a world that scoffs at the Word of God. Oh, I guess I'm wasting my time using the Bible. No. It doesn't matter whether the criminal believes in guns or not. They are powerful and effective. And so is the Word of God. 
Second illustration, a true story, my story. In the spring of 1968, I resigned from an organization called Youth for Christ in Chicago, where I'd worked for a couple of years with high school kids right out of, after I was out of college. When I left there, I was disillusioned and hurt and bitter and confused and broke and abandoned by my friends, and God was not seeming to care what happened to me. So I walked through the only door I found open, the door of an Air Force recruiting office. And for the next couple of years, I poured my life into officer training school and pilot training, which was very, I was a very busy guy. But in the meantime, my walk with the Lord grew colder and more distant until I realized I didn't really know if I believed anything anymore. Somewhere along the way, I saw, I think it was in a grocery store. I saw a little book rack, and here's a book called Basic Christianity by some guy named John Stott that I'd never heard of. But it was only a buck and a half, and so I decided to buy it. I don't even why, and it laid on my shelf for a few months, and finally I picked it up and began to read it. I like the way he started, for it's exactly where I was. He has the reader pray this prayer. God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do or not, and if you can hear this prayer, and I don't know if you can or not, I want to tell you I'm honestly seeking to know the truth. Now, if you were writing a book like that to people in that condition, the last thing you would want to do is quote the Bible, right? I mean, they already have admitted they don't even know if they believe in God. They surely don't accept the authority of the scriptures. But you know what John Stott does in that book? In the 13 pages on the claims of Christ, he quotes no less than 98 verses of scripture. And that's his pattern, as he goes on to write about the character of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the fact and nature of sin, the consequences of sin, and the death of Christ, and the salvation of Christ, etc., etc., etc. Oh, he admits at the beginning that he's writing to people who don't necessarily believe, but he still uses the word of God on them because he knows it is living and powerful. And when John Stott was through with me, or I should say, when the Spirit of God was through with me, I was walking down the beach of the Gulf Coast, confessing my desperate need of Jesus and repenting of my attempts to live my life without him. God had worked in me through his living and powerful word. Folks, you don't have to be clever. Just know God's word and pass it on. Tell it, for it's true. Whether anybody believes it or not, it's still true. But in the hearing of it, faith rises out of the ashes of life. That's exactly what Romans 10 says. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. God works through his word. So what does the word of God do that makes it so powerful? Well, that's our third point. God's word exposes our hearts. God's word exposes our hearts. 
we love in our culture these days to uh, speak of the importance of being transparent. But you know, the truth is that uh, in, in spite of all the high-tech communication stuff that we have, and in spite of social networking everywhere, most of us keep ourselves safely hidden away. Even in plain view, but very hidden. If you've ever tried to, hurt, to help a friend who was really hurting, you quickly realize you don't really know him very well. And you are powerless to see what's going on inside. But the word of God is not powerless. God's word lays our hearts bare. Our text tells us it penetrates and separates and discerns or judges us. Let me explain what's going on here. This passage speaks of three parts of the human person. The soul, the spirit, and the physical body referred to here in the terms joints and marrow. We know that's our body. Some of those parts are visible, some are invisible, some are tangible, some are intangible. So suppose you have some strong urge, some compulsion to do something, some overwhelming focus on some course of action that seems right. How could you tell where that's coming from? Is it from your body? Is it a chemical reaction in your cells that's a response to some uh, uh, environmental stimulus? Or is it from your psyche, your soul, that invisible part of you where you make value judgments and where you reflect your upbringing and your culture, where you nurture an outlook of yourself and of the world around you? Or is it from your spirit, where God dwells with you, where his spirit bears witness with your spirit about your relationship to him, where God transforms us and makes us new and gives us a new heart? When you get some sense of direction, some compulsion, some conviction, how do you know where it's coming from? I've tried to understand myself for a lot of years. And I have to say, I often don't have a clue. I don't know where it's coming from. You see, we're integrated human beings. We know that we feel strongly, but we have no way of telling whether that conviction came from God's Spirit in us or from our upbringing or from some chemicals in our brain. We don't know. So what do we do with these things? Just go with the urge? Boy, that could be tragic. Or just consider all invalid? That could be equally tragic. No, I'll tell you what we do. We submit ourselves to the scrutiny of the Word of God. That's what we do. For the Word of God is able to penetrate down below the surface. The Word of God is able to discern between the visible and the invisible. The Word of God is able to divide the culture that drive us, the habits that drive us from the Spirit of God who often leads us in an exact opposite way. 
We may not even understand ourselves, but God's word cuts through that tangled, invisible web of influences which fills every person and goes right to the heart where motives and attitudes are formed and makes clear what is right and what is wrong. What is of God is not of God. Apart from God's word, we're hopelessly lost. We're at the mercy of our feelings, having no idea what's driving them or where we're being driven. We desperately need God's word to expose our hearts. Now let's apply that work of God to the subject at hand here in Hebrews 3 and 4. Here are some Jewish Christians who are being tempted to depart from their faith in Jesus, which was tremendously unpopular and was beginning to cost them dearly, and return to the Old Testament Jewish system, which was well known to them, familiar like an old shoe, and approved by everyone around them. But they were being warned that to turn away from Christ back to the beggarly rule-keeping of the old past would be to miss the rest that God has sent in Christ. Can you imagine the confusion that was taking place in these people? They're people just like you and me. They're thinking, well, now we want to be faithful to Christ. But boy, to risk losing our homes and our jobs... And and doing damage to our family. How could that be God's will for us? Plus, it's God whom our forefathers were following in all the traditions of the rabbis. How could that be so wrong? And talk about rest. Well, the people who remain faithful to Jesus, they're knowing nothing but trouble. It doesn't look like rest to me. How do you sort it out? How would they sort it out? You see, we humans have a tremendous ability to rationalize until the course of least resistance always seems to be the right one. These Hebrew Christians needed God's word to expose their thoughts and motives and lay bare the inner working of their heart. So right after it talks about entering rest, it talks about the word of God being living and active, and able to help you discern. These Hebrew Christians needed God's word. And you and I need the same thing every day. Think how our claim to be resting in Christ could easily become a guise behind which we totally forget about any obedience. Apostle Paul warned us about that using the freedom we have in Christ as a license to sin. Or on the other hand, imagine how our laboring to enter into that rest could easily become a sinkhole of self-righteousness as we begin to think we're better than people who aren't doing all that we're doing. But But God has given us his word, and as we read it and meditate on it and listen to it being preached, and study it together, God cuts through all those mixed motives, all those false assumptions, all of our commitment to self, 
all of our patterns and habits of, the, of, of, of generations. He cuts through all of that and makes his truth clear to us. Thomas Long puts it this way, sharper than any earthly two-edged sword, the speech of God knifes through the curtain between heaven and earth, piercing into the depths of humanity, exposing to view the secret intentions of the heart. This sword is so sharp that it can separate even the soul from the spirit, dividing between what really matters and what only seems to matter. Dear people, this morning I tell you, if you're not spending time reading and meditating on God's word, you are walking through a spiritual minefield with no map. How do you expect your faith to survive? God has given us his word to expose to us the inner workings of our hearts so that we might follow him and serve him. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Three truths. God speaks in the Bible. You don't have to run around looking for some divine guidance. Read the scriptures. God speaks there. Secondly, God works through his word. Thomas Long has this interesting comment with a reference back to even Adam and Eve. He says, the word of God turns wandering human beings into principal actors in the magnificent story of divine redemption. It transforms people who hide in the garden and make excuses into holy partners of Christ Jesus. And the third thing, God's word lays our hearts bare. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord told us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only exposure to the penetrating, discerning word of God can break us out of our self-deception and set us free to know and serve the Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have your word in our hands. Some of us have many copies and different translations. And probably few of us spend much time there. Oh, Lord, help us to understand how important this is. We desperately want a word from heaven. We want to know what you say, and yet we look everywhere for that, and yet you've given us what you have to say to us. We want to know how you work, Lord, and yet you've told us how you work. Lord, we want to understand what's going on and what we ought to do and know our own hearts, and you've told us how to do that. So give us grace to give attention, to listen, to be still, and sit before you, and meditate on your truth, knowing that there you communicate with us, and there you guide us, and there you, you help us to sort through things, and there you help us to see right from wrong. Oh, Father, give us grace for obedience in this area of our life. 
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.